Melissa Johnson is a marriage and family therapist, a spiritual director, and teaches an undergraduate course at Bethel University on soul well-being. Melissa is also the founder of Impossible Beauty, a blog and podcast dedicated to redefining beauty as the life of God at work in us and among us. Melissa lives near Minneapolis, Minnesota with her husband. Learn more about all the beautiful work that Melissa is doing at impossible-beauty.com. She writes in her new book, Soul Deep Beauty, fighting for our true worth in a world demanding flawless. For me, experiencing an eating disorder was like getting a PhD in social comparison. At some indefinable moment in my struggle, I reached an unfortunate tipping point. No longer did I assess my own worth by an internal measure based on my own values. Rather, my sense of self was dependent on external measures. I repeat, rather, my sense of self was dependent on external measures. I steadily became engrossed in this daily, all-encompassing competition with those around me, with those in the media, and with myself. Am I thinner than that person? Am I smaller than I was before? Is my portion of food smaller than theirs? Is my caloric intake less than yesterday's? If you ran, I wanted to run further. If you went to the gym, I wanted to work out longer than you had and longer than I had the previous week. It was a fierce game of social comparison with others and with comparison with myself. And the rules were simple. Eat even less food and do even more exercise. In this game, the ante was always upped and the new norm was never enough. Becoming addicted to comparison was certainly never anything I set out to do intentionally. Nor was this comparison process ever helpful or result in feelings of contentment. It was a tendency that gained significant momentum suddenly and usually ended in some sort of self-deprecation. Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heart-lifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Hello and welcome to today's Heartlift with Janelle. As I just said, we have Melissa Johnson with us today. She is a marriage and family therapist, which is so near and dear to my heart, as you all know, and a spiritual director, so near to my heart. <laughs> and you teach an undergraduate course on soul well-being. So intriguing. Melissa, welcome to the Heartlift community. Mm, thank you so much. I'm so grateful to be here. I was just telling Melissa how courageous and brave she is because... <laughs> 
her story is it takes a lot of courage to put your words on paper and then for your words to be read by millions of people (laughs) (laughs) and heard by millions of people. I hope Mm -hmm. it is heard by millions Mm -hmm. and I hope millions buy this book, Soul Mm -hmm. Deep Beauty, Fighting for Our True Worth in a World Demanding Flawless. I know how important that subtitle is. How did you come about choosing demanding Mm. and flawless? Those two words are powerful Mm. in that subtitle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so for the subtitle, I have to give it up to the Bethany House team. It was the the marketing team that came up with some great language. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that's one of the great challenges when you have a, a book that resonates or this message that resonates so deeply and then trying to get the heart of the message across in a title and a subtitle and Yes, when they came back with with that, I I was so grateful that they had kind of put the I don't know like the hit the nail on the head. Um, yes, and yes, and I think the other part about that was you know we kind of played around with that first word fighting. Um, there was a different mm-hmm. word, a different verb, and we came back with fighting, or they came back with fighting, and that really yeah. deeply resonated because I do feel like it is such a fight mm-hmm. when we're inundated with this flawless kind of beauty. Oh, and we are demanded. For sure. And it doesn't matter what age you are in any way, shape, or form. What really, really got to me before we get to um, your really moving story of your Mm. journey is the whole issue of social comparison. Mm. I thought to myself, you know, I'm 63. And back in the day when I was a strong competitor for the Miss America program, Miss America competition, beauty pageants, dance competition, twirling, all the things that were involved with being on stage or in front of people. And then beauty pageants, you know, all about Mm -hmm. your weight and your looks and all of that. And I just thought to myself when I was reading in chapter three of your book about social comparison, I don't know if I would have survived if we had the social media compounding my activity. like. I just don't know if I would have survived that type of, I I wrote down daily, all-encompassing competition. Those are your words. Mm. Because my competition, you know, I would meet these girls at a local and then maybe at a state and maybe at several locals, but we didn't have any way of connection Mm. except for face-to-face. We didn't have email. I mean, I'm aging, right? We didn't have email. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have all any of that. So I, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You really speak to this mm-hmm. in your book. Mm-hmm. And and what are your thoughts on that? Like right here from mm-hmm. the very get-go of this deep conversation I know we're going to have. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking about some of the the data that just came up from the CDC. And I, I don't know exactly off the top of my head the percentages, but just the increase in struggles among, you know, girls in particular, Mm -hmm. adolescent girls. Um, And I I think another article just came out about increased rates of suicidality among adolescent girls. And I can't remember the exact ages, um, but adolescent women. And, you know, I I don't know that we can, you know, we can probably venture a guess at how Mm -hmm. much the inundation of social media is impacting this idea of social comparison um, but, you know, I think as as logical creatures, we can probably surmise that it's mm-hmm. deeply impacting um, the self, yeah. self-esteem, mm-hmm. um, sense of, you know, body dysmorphia, uh, eating disorder or disordered eating um, type of symptomatology, uh, 
you know, I think the list goes on. And, um, you know, I think at such a, a pivotal age when you are trying to develop your own sense of self and your own sense yeah. of identity, wondering who am I in the world? You know, I I think that we have ventured into very dangerous ground when it comes to the rise of social media and not just social media, but also I think the back to that idea of flawlessness or being flawless. Yes, um, Jean Kilborn, who was a, she's been doing work since the 1960s and advertising, the power of advertising and the power of the flawless image. And so, you know, the airbrushing technologies airbrushing. that began, mm-hmm. um, I don't know when it began, maybe like the 80, yeah. 80s or 90s or something. Um, but now we can do that. Like, it's not just our, you know, the, I don't know, cover models, but it is our best friend it it is. on the street next door. And so it's, when we look at ourselves in the mirror and see any kind of blemish or wrinkle or whatever, <laughs> yes, we we think, what's wrong with me? Because I don't have completely smooth, flawless skin. Mm-hmm. And I, there's actually even, um, I've heard this recently, actually, that there is such a thing as people going in to get plastic surgery to look more like an Instagram filter. And so- Yes. This, oh, that's so yes. alarming. That is so yes. jarring. <laughs> it 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 really it really truly is, and I think I think you know one of the the things in the book is, and and because this was true in my own story, I think I didn't realize how deeply this was impacting me and how deeply it's impacting us, like on a societal level. I I thought like oh yeah, like, you know that's probably not good for us, but I didn't really think deeply about it until mm-hmm. my own journey, where I realized oh this is killing some people. And then I happen to think about the layers of our soul and what is this doing to the human psyche and soul? And it led me on this, I I would say, uh, kind of into this journey about, you know, what is beauty? And um, so anyway, deeply impacting us. Yes. And so your story, which I am privy to know, I've been on your website. It's so beautiful and so powerful. And then I'm pre-reading your book, but tell us your story. If you would start wherever you want, tell as much as you want. We just want to know your story. And you've just mentioned words like body dysmorphia, disordered eating, eating disorders. Like I said, we haven't talked about this subject. And uh, I told you beforehand, probably it's because I had one, I had disordered eating and I had body dysmorphia. And I want to say had but if I am honest, you can ask my two daughters, you know, I think I have had more body consciousness now that I'm aging and getting into my sixties than I've ever had in my whole entire life. Yeah. And that is just, once again, I'm spinning from that. It's like, what on earth? Why is this mattering so much to me now at this age? Okay. So we want to know yeah. your story. Yeah, I know. Thank you. And also thank you for for stating that and just normalizing that. Because again, I think sometimes it can be so easy to think like, well, that's like a, you know, teenagers struggle with that. Or, no. you know, I, I'm too old to be struggling with that. And I think when we are, I really think it's like a brainwashing. And I think that's something mm-hmm. that might sound a little dramatic, but truly when we are saturated yeah. with these images, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I think it is deeply impacting us. And so thank you for normalizing that. And because I think it helps other people realize like, oh, you know, it's it's okay because it's, you know, if we're being brainwashed in this way of thinking, it would make sense that it impacts us. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, my daughter, Um, my twin daughter, I'll I'll just add this to normalize it even more closely because it just happened, you know, a couple of months ago, I went to visit her in St. Louis and and she is, 
a magnificent stylist and so style has so much style and I'm always asking her questions, right? If I'm, you know, what I should wear and, and definitely about fair trade clothing and all of this. She's just abreast of all of these beautiful things that I love. And so when we're in St. Louis, she's like, I'm taking you to Madewell, which is a, a fair trade jean company. And, you know, I'm sure most of my people know who Madewell is. I did not. Um, but she said, I'm taking you and we're getting, we're, I'm going to style you. And I'm like, okay, well, this is fun until we walked in. And immediately when I walked in, I was like, Okay, well, I don't like wide leg flared pants. They, they they make me look bigger. All of these things started coming out of my mouth. And she was like, mother, oh my gosh, get in that dressing room and come out of that dressing room and stop berating yourself, basically. You know, and I was so guarded with them growing up. I have a son as well, but more so with my two girls because of my history with beauty pageants and competition and all that. So I think for them, it's been like, a little bit, why now, mom? Come on, mm-hmm. you know, but I am far more conscious. Okay. All right. So everybody just yeah. take a deep breath and realize that this is real stuff we're talking about. And we all look in the mirror. And one of the statistics in your book says 90% of us, 97% of us complain at least once a day about some part of our body. So this is real and this yeah. is real good. You know, so it's tricky to know exactly where to start, but I'll just say yeah. when I was, uh, so we just spoke briefly before we started about eight years ago, I was working in, uh, in high schools actually as a mental health, well, I'm a marriage and family therapist, but I was a servant, like I was a, just a therapist at a, at a high school and came to my attention by my regular therapist that she recommended that I perhaps should take a pause. Well, not so <laughs> recommend. It was numerous recommendations. <laughs> a little urging. That I needed. <laughs> yeah, a little urging. Um, that I should probably take a pause and do some work around an eating disorder, which really threw wow. me off because I was thinking, how is this an eating disorder? I'm doing it. I, I felt that I was trying to do it right because, you know, there are all these rules about what you should and shouldn't eat, how often you should be exercising. And yes. I was following the rules and the rules prescribed um, to us by those marketers or those advertisers correct. or even good meaning doctors and well-being. Right. Correct. Yes. So what I've come to know, know now as diet culture, you know, messages of, yeah. um, you know, the less food, the better, the smaller your body, the better, etc. So I ended up having to take a pause from doing my work as a therapist and, Long story short, it began as partial treatment and ended up being intensive uh, treatment where uh, I think it was about a little over a year. No, it was about a year that I um, ended up having to do some intensive work around this. And in mm-hmm. the midst of that, I was also simultaneously pursuing a degree in spiritual formation, which at a point I was like, is this wise? Um, but it ended up being a really amazing mm-hmm. dovetailing of experiences during the day I was having mm-hmm. these Yes, these cultural messages stripped away around beauty and body image. And in the evenings, I would go home and read like about the mystics and their love, their deep love for God. And one of my classes would even was even called Grace and Shame. And so, uh, at the end of that, so providential for you. <laughs> no, exactly. I know. I was like, could yeah, right, exactly. Uh, so at the end of my journey as things were kind of uh, tapering, I I started to ask this question around, well, I started to see, I think, how deeply these messages around beauty and body image were 
not only impacting those in the therapy room, like the women I was in the therapy room rooms with, and there were some men as well. I should make sure to say that. Right, right. Um, yeah. And I started to see that, wait a second, these, what was being labeled, what were being labeled as eating disorder symptoms and messages were actually messages of our popular culture. So I started to see that these types, same types of thoughts and behaviors and yeah, belief systems were outside of the treatment rooms almost as much as inside. And so I was thinking, um, and you know, of course, in, then we get down to this idea of the you know, spectrum of disordered eating versus eating disorders. And, you know, I think it is all on very much on a spectrum. Um, at the end of that treatment experience, I realized I don't think I can be silent about this. Like this type of cultural beauty is actually depleting the souls of all of us. And I'm focusing in my own work on women in particular, just being a woman. And I do think that, you know, if we look historically, a lot of these messages have really been shoved down women's throats. I do mm-hmm. think that it is for becoming, you know, worse. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's probably at, by now, I don't, I don't know if we'd say like probably equal pressure for men to conform mm-hmm. to certain body image standards. So I... From that came a podcast I called Impossible Beauty and wrote the manuscript for this book. And of course, there's there are a lot of little um, other pieces in there. But I realized that I, I really could not stay silent mm-hmm. because I just saw how this is becoming like a huge, I think, from distraction for, for women and men um, to the point of killing some people. And that mm-hmm. sounds dramatic, but I, I would see how some oh, women... No. Would, were in and out of treatment, and that was going to be that. That may be that the rest their of life. their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you in residential treatment or outpatient? Like how how did you go from just because I know there are probably listeners today that are yeah. maybe know someone or they're maybe have indication in their own self. How did you go yeah. from a very wise? therapist, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, telling you, uh, you know, urging you to maybe look at this part of your life to getting treatment. How did that start from you? Like how did, what did that look like? Just so people can kind of maybe shape, shape a plan of treatment actually, or a plan of action, not treatment. You know, like I said, I think at first when she mentioned it, it, it really threw me off. And I did not think that this was as much of an issue as she was thinking. And to be honest, it was like over probably years that this happened. And so I think at first it was like, I think, you know, I I don't know what she's seen. Mm. I think my own symptoms and struggles increased, eventually got to the point where my life balance got really thrown off. And I decided Mm. to trust her wisdom and also the the wisdom of um, close family that this seemed like, the the place that I, I would need be needing some additional attention. So you give us a self-awareness inventory on pages 21 and 22 in the book, and you call it, are you racing to, right? So I like this so much because I feel like it, uh, it just gives us a place to start. And that's what we were doing here. And you say, honestly and thoughtfully complete the following inventory with simple yes or no answers to consider how cultural messages around beauty and body image may be impacting your relationship with food and your body. And I will add cultural for sure, but familial, like family messages. Moms, we have a really big job in imaging 
beauty and well-being to our girls and our sons, for sure. If you respond yes to any of the items below, consider if that tendency is affecting you in any negative, unhelpful way, and then also consider whether you'd like to move toward greater freedom in that area. I'm assuming these are some things that you also dealt with. So I'm just going to read them and you can, after I'm done, you can go, um, yeah, well, yes. I often find myself fixated on my appearance. I often wish my body was thinner, smaller. I often wish I could change some things about my appearance. I often tailor my food choices to try to shrink or change my body. Oh, this is so convicting. <laughs> I often tailor my movement exercise choices to try to shrink or change my body. I often feel preoccupied with thoughts about the size or shape of my body. I often feel preoccupied with thoughts or anxiety about what I will eat or what I've eaten. I often feel preoccupied with tracking steps, calories, or macros. I often find myself trying to perfect my food choices. I often compare my body to other women's bodies. I often compare my exercise routine to other women's routines. I often find myself judging other women's body shapes or sizes. I often label foods as good or bad. I would likely benefit from inviting more self-compassion into my relationship with my body. Now, did that come from your own self-awareness? I'm so curious. From from my own self-awareness and I think starting to see this like matrix of diet culture that we've been so like I, I call it toxic waters we're swimming in. We are. I think it's become Yes, and it's become we've become so inundated with us with it, and these messages uh, that like smaller bodies are better, smaller bodies are healthier, and we in, so so I started to see like like I said like this matrix, and throughout my journey in treatment, but then also post treatment as well, and just started to see this new hierarchy for for bodies for women yeah. that is just so wrong. I think it was from my own experiences and then also just observing the culture around me. And yeah, that would, that could be, you know, like society, but also the familial messages as well that our society has kind of leaked into our own families. Yes. So I would say a mixture of my own struggles and then also uh, extensions based on things I've noticed as well. So please be sure to rewind the tape, rewind us. And uh, go through those by yourself, Heartlifter, and just ask yourself some tough questions because our ultimate goal here, I know it is Melissa's ultimate goal, is for you, Heartlifter, to find freedom, true freedom, and to truly be in love with this beautiful body that you inhabit. You know, a huge part of our work that we do here, Melissa, is just embodiment, which I am sure you I've heard of. <laughs> and so I wanted to take that pause and just give everyone permission to take a pause, to really reflect mm-hmm. on those thoughts, uh, look at that self-awareness inventory, do some introspection so that as we continue, you will receive some hope and some tools. But for right now, make sure you take a pause and think about that.
So Melissa, then you took this brave step and you went into treatment and you said it was about a year outpatient year. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any encouragement for someone right there, right on the threshold, but it's like, "Mm, no, I don't really have this problem. I don't need to. Yes. So on the threshold of getting help potentially. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yes. Encouragement. You know, as with most things and in terms of our own self-awareness journeys, therapeutic journeys, oftentimes it's, it can be a rougher start for me. It was definitely a rough start. I remember coming home and crying the first day and just like sobbing and saying like, I don't think I can do this. I had based so much of my value system, my schedule on these Mm. things, these practices. And so I first, I guess, want to validate that this can be, it can definitely be challenging. But the, what I will say is the reordering has Mm. been so incredibly freeing and I would say life-changing. I think oftentimes some of these things, when we're really honest with ourselves, they aren't sustainable in terms of some of these. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it could be anything from the self-talk we use mm-hmm. to, you know, we can be quite cruel to ourselves. So cruel. Um, yes. And some of the, you know, maybe rules that we make around food and exercise. And I should say maybe, you know, maybe it's sustainable, but it's not life-giving. And so yeah. I, I really do. And I bring this up in the book. I, I, I do think that we are called to to thrive. And, you know, sometimes in our broken world that, there, there can be limitations to that. But as much as possible, mm-hmm. I deeply desire for people to thrive. And so much of the practices and thoughts that come with some of these struggles do limit our freedom and they limit our ability to live the life that that I think God really invites us to. Yeah. And that's a life of flourishing. It really is. Yes. He wants us to flourish. And to live very meaningful lives. You've done a lot of research and study personally, Mm -hmm. I know, for your own journey, but also Mm -hmm. for us in your book. And uh, I love one of your thoughts that you propose for us, uh, those of us that are interviewing you, is how do you think the American beauty standard originated? I've not heard that addressed, and it intrigued me so much. So how do you think this god-awful American beauty standard. And really, it's all mm. it's all over the world. It is a global um, issue. And, and what is wrong with that American standard? I think it's a really important question. This, this, I think, is one of the, I mean, I'll just say most frustrating parts that I, I really am glad that you, you asked because I think it's super helpful and motivating for people to know. You know, I think, I think if we go back to kind of the origins of, you know, advertising and consumerism in Western culture, specifically in America, there was this time when they realized that if people are the product, we can sell a lot of, uh, you know, make a lot more money. And so we see that there's like this collapsing of the products that we use with um, who we are as a person. And so we see that today as in like, I don't know, you're environmentally conscious if you drive a Prius or um, (laughs) you're rugged if you drive a Jeep. Jeep. And we've, right, or whatever. (laughs) With that, though, I think this idea of you are, you know, this this gets really tricky too with religious narratives too. Like you Mm -hmm. are a conscientious 
healthy person if your body looks a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not only are the, the products and it it's not an extension of who we, it, or maybe it is an extension of who we are, but it, it becomes about who we are as a person. And so what that means though, is that their triggers for shame can occur much more easily. And so oh, if yeah. I, mm-hmm. if I have wrinkles or if <laughs> I, my waist isn't, you know, as trim as it should be, that means about something about who I am as a person. Because of that, the advertising and marketing, diet industry, beauty industry, they're making like billions of dollars billions. on our shame. <laughs> yes. It's 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 like crazy. And I actually have this quote pulled up because I think that this is, I think he states it so well. So Paul Hamburg is an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He says, the media markets desire. And by reproducing ideals that are absurdly out of line with what real bodies really do look like. The media perpetuates a market for frustration and disappointment. Its mm-hmm. customers will never disappear. Oh, so the more, wow. so that's the end of his quote. And the more flawless the images are, the skinnier the models are who, you know, and there there is one statistic I talk about in the book, the majority of models would be I believe 20% underweight, whereas in the DSM-4, in order to meet diagnostic criteria for anorexia, it would be, you'd have to be 15% underweight. So the the mo- the images that we see of models are literally unhealthily small. And so, mm. but then we also see this where we have, you know, airbrushing and Photoshop type uh, yes. chem- technology where, you know, legs are made smaller and um, cellulite, is, no cellulite disappears. Mm-hmm. and waistlines are made incredibly like unrealistically small. Mm -hmm. And so again, we see this where bodies are absurdly out of line with what real bodies really do look like and same with faces. And so Mm -hmm. this idea is that these marketing techniques are increasing shame and Mm -hmm. which I have seen how it disintegrates our, our soul. It disintegrates Mm -hmm. actually our our brains, our relationships. And so it's exactly in contrast with what I believe God and his vision for humanity is all about connection. And Mm -hmm. this kind of broken beauty is all about disconnection, disconnecting us from ourselves, from other people and from Um, um, our, yeah, our own inner knowing. Yeah. I just want to, I mean, I'm so, there's so many, so many things I want to talk to you about. And I think that's, the main thing is disconnection, disintegration, right? And that's what that voice of shame in my last book, I write shifting from shame to grace. You know, we learned the basic understanding I got was thankfully from Dr. Brene Brown, who just said, shame means I am bad and guilt means I've done something bad. And I mean, I've read books and books on shame. And to me, that just always is the most helpful. I am not bad, but if I fall prey to advertisers, marketers, other women in conversation or comparison. If I fall prey to that, then I fall prey to degrading myself and becoming disintegrated, which is then becoming disembodied, which we just talked about. You know, and we want to fully inhabit spirit, soul, mind, and body, our being, who God breathed in us to be, that Genesis 2-7 breath, ah, that breath that he blew into you, Melissa, and into me and to, to everyone listening. How do you think and why do you think that shame is so harmful? How was it harmful to you? Would you 
mind personalizing that if if you never have to answer anything and you say no not right sure. now maybe maybe a year from now I'll come back Janelle but yeah. you know how how was that how was shame and I always capitalize shame like I feel like shame mm-hmm. she's a real thing you know and yeah, totally. how did she mess with your head like mess with you yeah I mean I think the impact that these messages were allowed to have and what I've started to notice is how shame is an embodied experience. And I think mm-hmm. actually Dr. Kurt Thompson talks about this. Yeah, and I love Dr. Kurt. How, yes. So for me, you know, not only were some of these messages that were probably outside of me at one point, you know, like thinner is better or, you know, choose your message. Yeah, choose your message right now. Make, <laughs> yeah, whatever whatever it is for, you know, I think that some of them, uh, for whatever reason, maybe it's, you know, fam- familiar reasons or your own history, some of those messages really resonate more deeply. And so for me, I think some of those messages, shame, like I started to make that about like who I was, like my my worth. So if if I couldn't, right. I don't know, you know, shrink my body anymore, that it became about my who I my own worth as a as a human, as a person. Mm-hmm. For me, I I'm not like a um, you know, there's a demon around every bush type of person, but yeah. I do actually see the good, the good versus evil um, narratives yes. that we see or themes that we see in the Bible. And so I started to see that actually, I think shame and Dr. Kurt Thompson talks about this is a minion of evil. It is. And so I started to see that shame attendance, the disintegrating, yeah. mm-hmm. yes, the disintegration that shame was having in my own life. And I, you know, honestly, I think that I I started to put these words around it perhaps later, but I think I started to see like, oh my goodness, like this is destroying my life. This is destroying me. And if I let it, like it, it will literally take, take my life in some way or another, whether that's being in and out of, you know, treatments or some other way. Um, and so I, it became very clear to me at some point that this is, do you want to live the way that God is inviting us to live in this thriving, like you said, flourishing way where all parts of who I am are invited to the table? Or do I want to live in this place of of shame where shame is ruling my life? And I'm on this, this treadmill of where I can never actually be good enough never. or thin enough or, you know, what whatever it is, flawless yeah. enough. And so I think shame exposed itself for what it really was. And I'm, I, I do think that God had a, a hand in opening my eyes yeah. to the reality of that life versus death imagery. And that allowed me then to push back against the shame and all of these messages that I think evil is trying to disintegrate, honestly, all, all of us women, because I think it has such a stronghold in our lives. I think so. And, you know, in this community, we talk a whole lot about secure attachment and, you know, even women, young girls mm-hmm. who have been privileged. I think it's such a privilege to be born into a family that uh, it, where they feel safe and secure and seen and heard and known and loved. Dr. Thompson teaches so well about that as well. Even with that undergirding, right? With that solid foundation, because of this cultural, you know, as you're saying, we're just drowning in this culture that continually subtly shames us into purchasing something that will improve us or make us better. So I love that you brought up Dr. Thompson, of course, because I love that he, he frames it as like you did, we're being invited 
by God Mm -hmm. into beauty, into a life of luminescence, a light of illumination. You just said, you know, God opened my eyes. He invited me to start living my life a different way. That's so profound. Mm -hmm. And that you, that you said yes. Mm -hmm. Melissa, you didn't have to say yes. You know, you could have said, lady, you're crazy. I don't have that issue. You know, where are you getting that from? I mean, that speaks a lot to his hand on your life, to, but also to your openness, mm-hmm. your heart, uh, yearning, right, to live a different way. I think that's a really profound statement that you just gave to us. It, it just kind of puts it all into place. Do do I want to live with disordered eating? Do I want to live looking in the mirror every day and finding 12 things wrong with me? Do I want to live with pinching this or pinching that? Or that's a big question. Mm-hmm. And so the invitation you just extended to us, do you want to live a different way? Is profound. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And I want to say yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because He does invite us to the table to enjoy this life that he's given us. So powerful. Sorry, you're just Mm. really getting to me here. (laughs) I'm Mm. being very, very honest. Mm. You speak of something, Melissa, that social psychologists call group polarization. Now, my community has never heard that before. And so this is a day of first. We are talking about... (laughs) Really important, vital subject matter with you. And thank you for bringing it to the table. What mm-hmm. is global global polarization? What is that? Yeah, so so group polarization occurs when certain opinions or thoughts are magnified in a group. And so we see this. Okay. Um, yeah, we see this, for instance, you know, and I talk in one of the, one of the chapters in the book is called reversing the baby shower effect. Um, and so what I mean by that, this is so good. <laughs> What I call the baby shower effect is where, you know, you we've probably, I'm guessing, all been to whatever it is, an all-female group where there is, you know, maybe it's a baby shower or a bridal shower. And, you know, maybe people are starting to talk about like, oh, I, I, I can't eat that because, you know, carbs are bad or, oh, I'm so bad for eating the dessert. Um, but, I, oh, maybe I can have the cookie because I, I ran this morning. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like where these ideas of um, broken beauty, I call it. Um, or diet culture are magnified in group settings. And um, so, so true. I don't do sugar. I just said that. (laughs) I do sugar. Everybody does sugar. Have you looked at the hidden sources of sugar in your diet? Good. Convict us. So good. Well, and so, and so I give this invitation of, in this chapter of reversing the baby shower effect, like what would it mean or what would it look like for us to actually shift the narratives that we have in our all-female groups and move them toward conversations that actually lead toward connection? Because again, what we're doing, I believe, when we uphold these ideas around diet culture and broken beauty is we are cultivating or we're, we are furthering the agenda of these disintegrating messages. Whereas instead, we we actually have a lot more power than we think we do. Because yes, these are these huge corporations. And like I said, evil, which is, you know, huge influence. <laughs> and we have agency. And I think agency. the more, yes, and the more we 
impact the communities we're a part of. And like you said, it was so huge, Janelle. We impact our family situations as well. And, you know, there's research around the way that a, a mom perceives her own body and her own body image yeah. is going to deeply impact her her daughters or her her kids. And I don't, you know, and I, I don't say that to increase shame. I'm saying Correct. that to perhaps, you know, invite us all to a, a communal breath mm-hmm. <laughs> and then just notice, again, perhaps a, a gentle invitation for maybe some some additional self-awareness, but also learning more about well, what are these messages of broken beauty? Because again, we have purposefully been fed this stuff. I think that that is is one of my, I mean, I think I have a, a couple hopes for this book and one of them is to help us all start opening our eyes to the toxic waters that we are in so yes. that we can have a little self-compassion. So mm-hmm. noticing like, yes, perhaps I have done some damage in my own you know, soul, psyche, and maybe even my own family. And and we can move in a different direction. The first step is first becoming aware of how we have been impacting so we can move in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Awareness is everything for sure. Uh, I I love the reverse, the, the baby shower. Like I just laughed out loud <laughs> when I saw the, the title of that chapter. And then when I was reading, I was like, oh, I was just at my granddaughter's first birthday party. And I just remember someone offering me we were in Uruguay and in Uruguay, South America, dulce de leche is the thing. And it's just this thick, creamy, caramel, caloric, sweet, sugary stuff. And I just went, oh, yes. no, no, I don't do sugar. So it was a joke. The whole, oh, oh, Janelle doesn't do sugar. And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't mean it that way. I just mean, I will feel really bad if I eat that. Like it'll just make my body feel bad. But I do see the message. So it hits so close to home. And so I was like, just reverse it, Janelle. Come on, you can reverse the, you know, these conversations. So that's a challenge that you're offering us, mm-hmm. as well as an invitation to mm-hmm. to read Soul Deep Beauty first and foremost, mm-hmm. but second to increase our awareness. I would say of our talk of the of how we talk about ourselves, our bodies, all of those things, and. Yeah make some changes. Do you have a suggestion for us, a practical tool (laughs) where we can start? Yes. But one of them is, you know, is, you know, a pivotal part of the book is redefining beauty for me. You know, we, we've allowed advertisers and marketers and, um, the diet industry and beauty industry to define what beauty is. And it's very narrow and it's shifting and, um, it's hard to even get our hands on. And so I have redefined beauty. And this is my working definition, um, is the life of God at work in us and among us. I have tried to retrain my eye and retrain my heart to mm. noticing beauty in our midst. Yeah. You know, what, what we know from neuroscience is what fires together, wires together. Mm-hmm. And so if we are being saturated by these flawless images, well, of course, we're going to think that that's what is beautiful. But instead, what would it be like to open up headspace and heart space to notice examples of the life of God at work in us and among us, knowing Mm -hmm. that, of course, that is going to bring about this kind of thriving and integration and connection that our souls ultimately long for. The other kind of beauty is most often actually fake. And it is going to dig us deeper into these shame, shame-based beliefs, and um, is going to bring about disconnection in our lives. Mm-hmm. Where's the, is there's that word again? So really, I guess you would affirm with me that the greatest 
the, the most critical part of this conversation is about connection. You know, we hold things in two hands in this community. So we're going to hold connection over here and disconnection over here. And somehow we have to integrate so that we live in a life, not only really, truly the work that I do is to have women be connected to themselves, to come home to themselves, embodiment, right? When the disconnection begins, I think we have to be as increasingly aware of what's disconnecting us. Whether it's like me walking into a store and going, I don't want the wide flare leg pants because they make me look big. I walked out of that store with the wide flare leg pants because they actually looked good on me. So I had a whole therapeutic <laughs> session with my daughter when she was yes. styling me in the Madewell store. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm not, I can't wear that. It makes me look big, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, just shut up for all, you know, just come on. I think being able to be aware in our body, like, okay, if I look too much on Instagram, I'm going to become disconnected. Is that what you're, is that what you're inferring here to us? Is that what you're also inviting us into do to limit, to be careful? Oh, totally. Yes. And I I think because this invitation to connection, I think is multifaceted. And so for sure, like one of the things we know is that I guess dissatisfaction with so many things increase the more we use social media and also our, uh, you know, social comparison goes up. And so, yes, I mean, limiting social media. Also, I think looking, taking a look at who are we following on social media? Are we following like uh, fitness influencers? Are we perpetuating this this beauty standard that actually is harmful for some people, actually for for most of us in in some way or another? Yes. It's also a very Eurocentric type of beauty. Mm-hmm. And so we don't actually, yeah. you know, it's, it's not including a lot of diverse rep- representations of beauty. And so we are perpetuating something that is harmful. Are we, so who are we, who are we, I guess, you know, following and what are they teaching us about beauty? And so maybe diversifying our feeds, meaning different body shapes, body sizes. So good. That's so good. Also, if there is any, I think becoming very aware of who am I following that actually increases shame or makes me feel worse about myself, well, then unfollow them. And then, you know, another, another thing that can be really helpful is starting to follow what I, what I would call non-diet or anti-diet dietitians or um, people in that realm uh, yeah. because they are purposefully going away from diet culture. So that that would be one idea. Also, this idea of kind of going back to connection is yeah, toward moving toward embodiment. And so there there are different ideas that I talk about that in the in the book. But you know, one way then that we move away from embodiment is when we are harsh towards our bodies. And so I think when we can have a voice of self compassion and of truth, and actually you know telling ourselves like that's wait, is that true that thinner bodies are better bodies or thinner bodies are healthier bodies. It's actually Mm -hmm. not true. Again, if if you're, and I think sometimes even hearing that can, can be jarring because we've been so, uh, it's so such a cultural message. And so I would invite you to, to read the books. They do kind of go into depth in some of those, where those ideas came from and kind of hopefully shattering them. Yeah. So yes, connecting. And I think that other invitation to Mm self-compassion, awareness and self-compassion. So we can have that, or that, um, that connection with ourselves, mm-hmm. our own intuition, our own yes. um, relating to ourselves in a more compassionate way and nurturing way. Well said. So well said. 
you have walked the walk. I can tell. Mm. And Mm. I just appreciate it. Heartlifters, this was such a rich conversation. And as you can tell, I was really feeling vulnerable. And this was a topic really close to my heart as I spent a great deal of my life in disordered eating, as they would call it now. And so this was just a timely message for me. Once again, as I said, just dealing with my own body image issues as I am aging. And I think it's been harder than any other time in my life, if I'm very honest. But thank God for Melissa for helping us understand and helping and inviting us to be very honest with ourselves and to get help if we need help, because there's no braver act in the world than asking for help. And so we're going to hold each other accountable here, and I really would, once again, love to hear from you. You can meet me over on Instagram at Janelle Rarden. That's where I will hang out once the podcast comes out on Wednesday, and I'll look for your comments and your thoughts. And if they're too private, once again, just DM me. That works as well. I just wanted to close with these two prompts that Melissa has at the end of her chapter, Reimagining God. The first one is, what do you find yourself running after to try to feel or become good enough? Mm. And second, what is it like to imagine God compassionately alongside you versus his being a critical outside observer? I'm going to repeat this one. What is it like to imagine God, just imagine him compassionately walking alongside of you, sitting with you, versus God being a critical outside observer? Does that fit with how you imagine God? Or do you envision something different? If so, what is it? Ah, I love it so much. She encourages us to listen to her podcast, episode 98, on impossible beauty, where she speaks with spiritual director Elizabeth Peterson about engaging the body in spiritual formation. Well, that is a win-win. So you can just dig deeper into this topic with Melissa on her podcast and listen and gain even more knowledge and wisdom for how to live your very best, your very best life. And stay tuned because there will be a bonus episode with the end of my conversation with Melissa. I really wanted to set it apart and give it to you as a meditative exercise. So that'll be coming out in a couple days. So keep your eyes out. And once again, remember, meet me over at at Janelle Rarden so that we can talk about this episode and be sure to subscribe to my weekly, sometimes bi-weekly newsletter, where we also connect, and I send out the podcast show notes and other things about the podcast that you're going to want to be able to access. So until next time. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairden.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.